Welcome to our service tonight. We're going to begin, please, with number 495, standing to worship the Lord. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. service tonight. We still our hearts in the Savior's precious name, and we come, Lord, desiring for the help of the Spirit of God in our service, that every thought that we think and every word that we say in song, in prayer, in our fellowship together, Father, we pray that we will grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. We ask, Lord, that our speech will always be with grace, seasoned with salt. And Lord, we need much grace and help for this one because our tongues so often control go in front of what we want to say and Lord we must take a step back and I pray that we'll know continually the restraint of the Spirit of God and the help we pray Lord set a watch upon our lips and keep the doors of our mouth so that we would always be able to glorify our God with what we think and what we say 
Father, come near to us tonight. We do give thanks for the privilege of meeting again in the evening service. And I pray that there would be a blessing for everyone gathered. I ask, Lord, that every family represented here in person and online would know household salvation, blessing in our own Christian lives, and, Lord, direction as we go forward in the service of Christ. What we're asking for, Father, is the blessed sense of your Spirit with us and among us in our fellowship so that we would have love one for another and the devil would not be able to get in with any root of bitterness springing up whereby many would be defiled. Lord, set a watch over us all, we pray, and carry us forward in the service of Christ. We want our congregation to be a good witness in the community we want, Lord, our personal outreach and witness to be blessed and, well, Lord, we pray, used in the sense of leading sinners to Christ. Use us, we pray, also to be good examples and encouragements one to another. Father, make use of our congregation in this city and province and nation. We want to be a light that shines in a dark place. We want to be those which herald forth the word of truth and ever allow this pulpit to be that which speaks forward and every man who stands behind this place to, Lord, be ones who proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and for the glory of his kingdom. Father, watch over our nation. We pray for help for our government. We pray for blessing upon those who are going in the direction that you have planned. We pray for restraint for every decision that would go against the Scripture. Father, protect us and help us to be a living witness and a light in our time. Remember the sick ones of our church again. We hold them all up, Lord, earnestly by name and ask for your hand of guidance and protection and blessing on them. Be with us now, Lord, we ask in our evening service. And may every part of our meeting be owned and blessed and directed by the Spirit of God. Let there be a word in season to every heart, a word of encouragement, a word of challenge, and where necessary, Father, a word of rebuke. We know we have a long way to go in many respects. We are all works in progress. But we're thankful, Lord, that you're not finished with us yet. And I pray that the Spirit of God will conform us more quickly to the image and the person and the beauty and the loveliness of our Lord Jesus. And Father, hear our prayers tonight. Continue with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 468, a prayer, draw us nearer, nearer to our Savior's precious side. Let's stand again, please as we sing.
We're going to read in our scriptures tonight, first of all, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and then over to the book of Titus, first of all, in 1 Peter, and chapter 1. Reading the first nine verses, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold many temptations." that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And then please over to the book of Titus, chapter 1, just back a few pages. Titus, chapter 1, the first four verses. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Lord bless His word to our hearts tonight. Welcome to our evening service. We're very glad that you're here with us in person, 
and those able to join with us tonight online. You're very, very welcome. We trust the Lord would encourage your heart and He would bless His Word to you. We know that uh, some join online who are in a different time zone altogether and perhaps overseas and others who are with us locally. We want you to know you're very, very welcome and we trust the Lord would bless you. And as I often say, if you have a spiritual need, perhaps something you want us to pray with you about, please send us an email. It appears on your screen sometime through the service and we would look forward to hearing from you and let you know how we could pray and encourage you in the Lord. As I announced this morning, I do so again tonight. We want to say a word of congratulations to Eunice and Zijin in their engagement that took place last evening, yesterday. And I was notified just last night, rather later in the evening, and asked if I would please announce that in the services today. So we are, are very happy for them and congratulate the young couple and pray that God will go in front of them and show them the way they are to go. Let's continue, please, to hold up our dear ones in the congregations who need our prayer. Uh, we are encouraged by uh, their response and their thankfulness to the prayers of God's people. And you know, isn't it just indicative of the fellowship that we have in God's house? The Lord tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so one of the greatest ways we can bear the burdens of others is to share in their time of need by praying for them. Yes, we can send them texts and emails and phone calls, and I say that's a good thing to do on every hand, but the best thing that we can do for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to pray for them. The best gift we can give them is to have the gift of prayer. And so please, let's remember that faithfully before the Lord. Also remember Whitfield Christian Schools, our greatest, our biggest ministry of this congregation. And as it's a daily ministry of teaching children, we pray for our staff members. We remember our young people, our students, and also the parents, and ask for God's hand to be upon that very, very important ministry. Please remember the necessary in important ministry announcements that we have after the service tonight. The young adults will be meeting for a choir practice. And then on Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer time, 7.30. And then Friday evening, the gym fellowship will continue. A couple of advance announcements for you. On November the 29th, that's not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, will be the beginning of the ladies' Bible study. And that's an online ministry, and it will be via Zoom. And so if you are not on that email list, I encourage you to speak to Brother McAnally before you leave tonight. And if you know someone who would like to join in for the ladies' Bible study, well, you can pass their email along as well. Everyone needs to have a separate email to connect in order to receive that connection information uh, for that Tuesday evening prayer time. So please, pardon me, the Tuesday evening Bible study for the ladies. That's November the 29th, not this Tuesday, but the next one at 7 p.m. Don't forget to send us your updated information for any changes you may have, new addresses, or if you would like to be on our 
um, church address directory. We'd be happy to have your name on there as well. On December the 25th, it's a little ways off yet, but coming quicker than we might think, and it's the Lord's Day that comes right on Christmas Day of this year, and we're going to be having an international lunch that day, so there's lots of preparation and for you to make your arrangements, and then also don't forget on that day we'll be having an afternoon praise service, and there will be no service in the evening of that day. One other announcement has to do with a young adult fellowship, and that will be taking place, a Christmas fellowship, on December the 3rd, and uh, that will be here in the church. It's a Saturday, a fellowship time, and it will be at 5 p.m., so young adults, young people, don't forget that day, December the 3rd. Those are all the ministry announcements we have tonight. We're going to sing again to the Lord's praise, number 581. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Let's please stand as we worship the Lord.
Even little Evelyn back there was shaking her arms and her legs. She was getting right into the praise of the Lord tonight. And that is good as we rejoice in the Lord. Turn now, please, again in your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's Prophecy, chapter 6. As I mentioned this morning, we come to the final part of the historic section of the book of Daniel, and that is the really the story aspect of the portion of God's Word here, dealing with the context of Daniel and his three friends from the time they were taken captive from Israel and brought to the land as prisoners, and how God mapped out their lives, and specifically Daniel, through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings of Babylon, right up to Belshazzar, where then he was slain, and Daniel continued into the reign of Darius the Mede at the beginning of the second major world empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. Chapter 6 is, of course, fascinating to us and to boys and girls from their youngest Sunday school time because they heard the account of a great deliverance that God gave to His servant as He took a stand for truth and as He was faithful to God praying when he was commanded not to pray. And we learn a vital lesson that there are times in our Christian lives where governments and people will tell us not to do something under threat of incarceration or perhaps even more stiff penalties, and we are called to obey God rather than men in those circumstances. Even though as God's people we want to be obedient, as the Bible does tell us, to those that are in authority over us. And that's to be the normal standard of our life. We are to obey and honor elected officials to the extent and degree that we are able to, so long as their directives do not go counter to the Word of God. And in that we want to be wise, and we must be faithful in this pattern that we follow. We're reading in chapter 6, beginning at verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were there instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent His angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. Forasmuch as before Him innocency was found in me, 
and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The Lord will bless his word to us tonight. Let's bow, please, for prayer. Father, as we have read the fascinating account, the inspired record of events that took place so many, many years ago, and yet they are alive with teaching. They are alive with the truth that has been recorded for our learning, for our benefit. And Father, I pray tonight, as we look at these words, that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand, and there would be clear application to our hearts. I pray, Father, for anyone who is unsaved tonight, listening on in this meeting or online, that their hearts will be open to Thy Holy Word. Hear this prayer tonight. And Father, show us the pathway of faith. Help us to have that conviction of belief, as Daniel did, that we might follow his example and serve God in our generation. Hear this prayer we ask tonight in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The God of Daniel. What happened after the lions? When we study the life of this man, 
we are sometimes tempted to think of Him as a superhuman being, some sort of spiritual giant that could not and cannot be reached by those of us who are the ordinary and the average Christian people. Out of reach would He be for a normal Christian. There is no doubt, though, that God has highlighted this man because he is a man of faith. He has been highlighted for his integrity. He has been spotlighted because he lived as a man above reproach in a very turbulent and dark time. But he was a man of faith not because he was superhuman, because Abraham was also a man of faith. And we're told in the New Testament that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And we are also told that he, along with Daniel, they simply took God at His word and they believed what God said. And if you think that that's superhuman, well, all right, let that definition stand. But it is not. It is that which simply believes what God has said He will do. And is that not what a definition of faith is? Forsaking all, I trust Him. Let us take the Lord at His Word and pray His truth into our hearts. If there's anything to that saying that we have all heard, that truth is stranger than fiction, I think it could apply to this account we have before us. Because to map out the events of such intrigue and treachery of deliverance and retribution and promotion, it'd be hard to have determined such an outcome. The miraculous deliverance of God's servant that was given by the Lord, well, that's not, that's not something that we would take for granted. But I do say to you that such a deliverance, it is a rare thing. It's more rare than common. Many believers in times of persecution have suffered and died refusing to surrender their conscience and their convictions as sort of bartering tools for their freedom. They've been prepared to say, I believe in God and I will stand on my faith no matter what the outcome. And that same conviction we learned and have emphasized over and again was that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood before the mighty monarch Nebuchadnezzar. They would not bow to his image. They would not bow before him. And it did not matter what he was going to do to them. They stood their ground. Were they special people? Well, yes, we look upon them as being special. But wherein were they special? It was because they believed what God said to them. And they believed in the Lord. And they were found faithful. There was a man by the name of Bernard Palissy. He lived in France during the 1500s. He was an innovator in pottery making and also hydraulic engineering. 
He designed and made very large platters, ceramic platters, with ornate animal designs in them. But his time, his time period was one of turmoil for anyone who declared themselves to be a Protestant, and of course in Roman Catholic France, he was a Huguenot. He lived during the oppressive regimes of Roman Catholic bishops and kings that had little to no toleration of anyone who declared themselves to be a biblical Protestant, and in this case, a Huguenot. It was on St. Bartholomew's Day, August 1572, when many Huguenot Protestants were massacred or imprisoned, and often both the case. And that was the time when Bernard was thrown into the Bastille, the prison for his faith. Charles IX, the king, actually came to the jail and tried to convince him that he needed to recant his faith. And the king said this, I am forced to give you up to death unless you renounce your religion. Forced, said Palissy. They that force you, King Charles, cannot force me. I can die, and so I am free. But you and all your nation cannot compel me, simple potter that I am, to bend my knee to an idol or to a lie. Bernard Palissy was sentenced to death in the dungeons of the Bastille, and though he lived for some years as a prisoner there for his faith in Christ, around the age of 80 years of age, he died. He was killed by misery, by need, and by very poor treatment, but he died as a man where his faith was intact, a man of integrity, a man of faith, a man of courage, a man just like Daniel. But he was not delivered in the same way Daniel was. He was delivered by death and therefore ushered into the presence of God as a martyr. You see, my dear friends, God deals with His servants very differently as far as the outworking of the details of life are concerned. And when you are tempted to look at someone else and say, they seem to have an easier time than I do, no, put that thought out of your head. For one thing, you have no idea what's going on in their life. You don't know what trials they have, and you don't know what outcome God has planned for them. It's enough for us to rest and trust and walk by faith in the pathway that our Sovereign Lord has plotted out for us, and not to lose heart and lose hope. When we compare the life of Daniel and that of this man Bernard or 
many, many other believers, well, the details may be very different, but they both lived and died as men of faith. And they went to everlasting life in the presence of God, of the Lord that loved them and the Lord whom they served. And so it will be with us. Every step of our lives, we must walk by faith and in trust of the Lord from the beginning to the end. And let the circumstances be what they will. We will trust in the Lord. And we will say as Isaiah did, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. As we look at the conclusion of this historical section and all the suspenseful events and the series of them, let us all determine in our lives by God's grace and with our eyes upon the Savior and with our eye on the goal and on the prize that He has given for us, let us live always reflecting on the wonder and majesty and holiness of the God of Daniel. That's the title for our message tonight because this is drawn directly from the words of King Darius in the latter part of this part, for he spoke about the God of Daniel. The first thought I leave with you is this in the final accounting here, that the God of Daniel saw to it that the lions were fed. In verse 24, we have these words, and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came to the bottom of the den. I wonder if you were to have asked those presidents and whatever princes were with them as they were being apprehended and thrown into the pit, was it worth it all? Was the treachery and the deception and the greed and the lying, was it worth it all? And of course, their answer would have been, no, it was not worth it all. And my dear friends, the end of the ungodly that are cast away from the presence of God and thrown into a lost eternity, the question will be asked of that person, was all the wealth, all the riches, all the iniquity, all the pleasures of this life, was it worth it all to have your soul at the end lost? What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? Don't be confused or discouraged even though it appears that some ungodly seem to prosper in this life. That was a problem that David wrestled with in the Psalms when he looked at the prosperity of the wicked and it seemed that they had so much and it didn't go wrong with them in their life. 
And if you were to observe those presidents and their families and the others around them, you might have concluded the same thing. Everything seems to be going right. And now, look, they've got the upper hand by all of their conniving and twisting. They're going to be elevated. But it didn't turn out that way for them at the end. And it wasn't until David, with the perspective of faith, went into the house of God that he realized the wicked in his day they were going to come to a very different end than he had perceived in the temporary sense. Don't put your eyes, dear friends, on the wealth of the ungodly. Don't think and imagine, oh, if only I had something of what they had. Think of how my life would be. You would not want to touch the riches of the ungodly. Stay away from it. Don't turn your hand toward it. Because the Lord is the one who grants to His people enough. Enough for our survival. Enough for our prosperity. The way of the ungodly will turn out to be a hard way and a hard life. One of the principles that we are taught through this is the subject of divine retribution It's a biblical principle. And it's underlined over and over again. The God of Daniel was mocked and He was cast aside as nothing by these men. And God will not be mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. These men sowed to the wind. And what did they reap? They reaped a tornado of wrath. But God did not do a miracle this time. He simply let nature take its course, which is the normal way of God's operation. And the lions did what they do best. The apparent injustice of their families being thrown in with them, that is something that was a part of the empire of the Medo-Persian realm and of some of those ancient empires that if one man sinned, the whole family received the punishment for the crime of that individual. That is not a biblical thing, but this is the outcome of what Darius did in the judgment in his mind at that time period. Others though we have to admit, and we see this all around us, other people, they will bear the consequences of sinful actions. And that itself is a very strong biblical principle. We are not islands to ourselves. Our actions influence and impact others. And so let us be very careful, friends, as believers, that we will walk circumspectly, that when we behave ourselves in certain ways, let us know that that's going to have an impact on others. Let us therefore pray that we will walk in a way that is God-fearing, and always that our influence and the impact of our lives will be a blessing to others that will not be involved in anything that will bring shame or dishonor to the gospel, and it will not have a negative influence on other people. But be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. The sin of those men found them out. And the retribution and the impact 
was not just to them, but to others around them. I want you to notice in the second place tonight this, that the king's declaration about the God of Daniel, it was detailed. The king's declaration about the God of Daniel. We find that from verses 25 to 27. The impact of Daniel's testimony and the deliverance that he had on King Darius, it was very evident by the reaction, and I would say to you, by the change in his attitude and his outlook. The fact that he now overturned that former decree that was not supposed to be changed, it shows that the conviction that Daniel was innocent and the others, the other presidents were guilty, and the decision that he now took, it should have been the one he took before. So the law of the Medes and Persians altered not. And the king knew it, and the presidents knew it, and that's of course what led to Daniel being put into the lion's den anyways, because, well, those presidents were pushing the king You cannot change the law. It's the Constitution. Well, the king behaved himself as the king he should have been by the right, doing the right thing, and the law was changed. You know, when nations and empires, when they, and countries, when they bind themselves according to a law that's in the Constitution, when that law is proved to be faulty, when that law is proved to be unbiblical and against that which is right and true, the law needs to be changed. And when people have bound themselves to a law simply because it's written down on a human piece of paper, there are problems with that, and there will always be problems with that. And so, King Darius, because he realized that Daniel was an innocent man, the very chiefest and best of the men that he had in his empire, he now took hold of the matter and he tore up that first decree. And he was not concerned about it going against the constitution of the nation and whatever fallout that would have had. Because now Darius was going to do the right thing. But you know, when we look back on that situation, it was part of the providence of God, wasn't it? Because had the law been changed in the first place, Daniel wouldn't have been thrown into the den of lions, there would not have been a great deliverance, and we would not have seen the end of the story as we have it now. Those things belong to God. They belong in the hands of a sovereign Lord. And we don't know the end from the beginning as the Lord does. And so therefore we go through our life, we operate according to the laws and the, and the light that comes to us from His Word. And so, the Lord was overruling all of those matters. And He had a purpose. He would restore His servant to a place of power, to a place of authority. And He would do that in order that Daniel would be able to help the people of God who were in captivity in Medo-Persia to eventually be brought back to their land, which would happen under Cyrus the Persian 
some years after that. Daniel, in this case, was just like Joseph in Egypt because the parallel here and the theme is is so striking. It was because God had raised him up and the Lord was using him for his greater purpose. There is a, a striking parallel in the wording that we have from King Darius and the statement and the salutation found in many of Paul's epistles. Now, we've read two of them tonight. And we read the one from 1 Peter and also from Titus. And I read those because, of course, they contain very encouraging words for us. And I trust you were able to draw that from them. But the statements of peace... The statements of blessing, the statements that Paul was writing to the New Testament Christian church, and of course writing to us as calling upon the blessing of God upon His people and upon their work, and upon what they were involved with in His kingdom. And as King Darius was writing these words, look in verse 25, then King Darius wrote, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. And he goes on to exalt the name of the Lord as we will be thinking here in just a moment. But as he communicates with his empire, he does so to inform them of the miraculous rescue of his first president, Daniel. And he also informs his people about the impact that that event had on his life and the impact it will have upon the nation. And how he is now exalting the God of Daniel, the living God, of heaven and of earth. Now, there are some commentators that believe the king's words were really nothing more than kind of a polite declaration to honor one more God recognized in the kingdom. But from the reaction of the king, from the time of Daniel when he was thrown into the den of lions, And now his deliverance, it appears there was a change, a wonderful change in how he viewed and praised the God of Daniel. However, people will view the outcome of this king's life. I say to you that his spiritual state and his relation to the God of heaven, it cannot be denied that he was not the same man as he was before. He was a changed man. And I trust you will see this from uh, the wording and the expressions that he used. So we're thinking about this declaration that Darius made about the God of Daniel. 
And you will notice that he appealed for peace in verse 25. He said, let peace be multiplied unto you. When he addressed this letter, it was to all his people and the nations and the languages that dwelt in all the earth. Now, I want to take a little side note here for just a moment uh, because it ties in with the message that I was speaking to you about this morning from the prayer of Christ in John 17. And it will help us a little bit to see how the Bible records and uses the terms of all and of every. When the Bible uses the term and the word all, it must be qualified by the context that it is found recorded in. Here, Darius appeals to all the earth, the people that should recognize his authority and the letter that he's writing to all the earth and all the inhabitants that are in the earth at that time. But the empire of the Medo-Persians, they ruled over the then-known civilization of the earth, but they certainly did not rule over all of the pilgrims or the nomads, those people who lived in tribal communities that were scattered farther and wider than the borders of the Medo-Persian Empire. There were people who had obviously migrated farther and farther wide and perhaps even over to North America at that time. Were they under the rulership of the Medo-Persians? No, of course they weren't. Did they receive the letter that this king put out? No, they weren't. But how does he refer to it? He says, all the people. And so we understand that in the context of the current civilization that was in existence at that time that controlled the then known world. And that's who he was writing to. And that's why he referred to it as all the people. But we know it did not include every single human being that was upon the globe at that time. And so it means that we must always be careful to interpret the words of Scripture in their context. And there is a principle of biblical interpretation, and it is this, that a restrictive word will give definition or limit to an inclusive word. So, the word all we would say, is an inclusive word. But when you have the term many, that is a restrictive term. And so the term many will also always have an influence or an application to a more broader or more inclusive word. But that was just a little point on the side because it came out of what Darius had written. But he appealed for peace throughout his empire. And it was on the basis of what he had witnessed that God had done for Daniel. The God of Daniel brought a peaceful end to his servant, to an otherwise disastrous situation. And that could not have been explained by any 
natural explanation. Why? Because it was a miracle, and miracles cannot be explained by human terms. What application is that for us? You see, my friend, when God comes down to meet the need of a sinful man to save us from our certain destruction, and He gives us life, calming the turmoil and the fear as He did in Daniel's heart, there is no indication that Daniel had any fear when he was down in the lion's den. Now, we would look at that naturally. We would think he would be terrorized. But God's Spirit in presence was so upon His servant that He was able to be at peace in a time of great difficulty because our God is the God of peace. And friends, you and I, when we're going through very deep and troubled waters, it will be a peace that we experience that is not of ourself because naturally we would feel we should be terrorized. But we're not. Why? Because God has poured into us the presence of the Spirit of God and His peace that is drawn over our lives. And we'll be able to have peace in the middle of the storm because Christ Jesus is in the vessel of our lives. And we will have that joy and that hope that the devil will not be able to take away from us. This is what God has done for us in sending Christ to be our Savior and to come to die on the cross to take our sins away and to give us in place of our turmoil and terror and distress. He has taken our guilt and our sin away and He has poured in His loving kindness and His peace. Christ reached down and He closed the mouths of those lions in that den for Daniel. And do you know what He has done for us? He has reached down and He has closed the mouth of Satan against us and He has restricted and tied up His paws and He is not able to have His way against us. You remember the account of David when he was watching his sheep and the Spirit of God came upon him when the lion and the bear came to rend the sheep of the flock and he rose up with not human strength. He rose up by the Spirit of God and he was able to destroy and kill the lion and the bear. And he had the peace of God in his heart And we have that same peace in our heart because that's what Jesus has done for us. Satan is a defeated foe. Satan is that deceiver and liar who has been destroyed. Let us therefore live and walk in the light of the victory of Calvary every day. Let us be able to say as Darius did, we will write to you in peace because we come now to know the God of Daniel is the God of peace whom we love and whom we serve. But this king also made a declaration, a decree to the glory of the God of Daniel. 
in verse 26, he refers to him as the living God. A title that we would perhaps sometimes read over in our familiarity with Bible words. But Darius, he acknowledged that this God was alive. He was the living God. Now what use is a dead God? What use is a dead dog if no use? Gods that are made of stones and sticks and computer chips. What kind of a God is that? As foolish as this sounds, it is the action of a depraved heart and those who are dead in their own sins that they will bow down to worship a God that they have manufactured with their own hands. That's what idolatry is. The gods of the Philistines, Dagon, just made of their own making. And when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in before Dagon, Dagon fell over. God did that to show there is no God that can stand in His presence. Because the gods that are made by men, the gods that are put forward by the devil, they are no gods, really. And as foolish as it sounds, everyone that does not have the knowledge of the living and the true God is a follower of that which is only made of stone, of material things. Remember our Lord Jesus said, we thought this morning, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. The only true God. The only living God. That's whom we worship and serve. And you'll know also that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. It is only a living God who can create and sustain and give eternal life. Joshua encouraged Israel as they were about to enter into Canaan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord, the living and the true God. The same God who showed Himself to Joshua as the captain of the Lord's host, He showed Moses His power and His majesty on Mount Sinai. And He was the same God that was known to Abraham on Mount Moriah as He reached and stopped the hand of Abraham that was ready to plunge the knife into Isaac. Yes, the living God is known by His people in every generation, in every time. And we are called to follow Him. For our Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Friend, I ask you tonight, do you worship the living God that King Darius spoke of? But it doesn't stop there. And the more we unfold 
the expressions that this man used, I believe you will come to see there was a change that took place in this man's heart because he also spoke of the living God being steadfast forever. Steadfast forever. Verse 26. He said, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom that men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God and steadfast forever. Steadfast forever. Another term we could read over quickly, but what did he mean when he said that? What did Darius know about God's immutability? That's a big word. simply means that God does not change. He is immutable. He knew more than we would think He knew as He declared that the God of Daniel was the unchanging God. That means that He knew that the Lord was the same yesterday and today and forever. And the words that the prophet spoke that God said to him, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You see, my friends, the unchangeable nature of God is an attribute of His sovereign being. If God could change to become something better, that would mean He was not perfect in the first place. And if He could change to become something worse, then He would was not perfect to begin with. The unchangeable nature of God is a key factor and attribute of His Godhead. And Darius said, this God of Daniel, He is steadfast forever. And the word steadfast means He does not change. He does not move. He does not alter. And that's the concept. That is the perception that he had. What Darius stated was not something new. He wasn't revelatory in this. But what he did state was a truth the Lord has emphasized over and over again in His Word. And it's known by His people. Everyone who knows God knows the Lord is an unchangeable being. And it's a great blessing for us, is it not, in times of our trouble, in times that we are tempted, in times when the devil comes with his accusations against us. We trust in a Lord that says to His people, I will not change. I do not change. I cannot change. And therefore, our everlasting salvation is secure in Him. He is steadfast forever and forever. And Darius spoke of His kingdom being one that was everlasting. Verse 26, he said, I make this decree that in every dominion, in every dominion of my kingdom, that men will tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, steadfast forever, and his kingdom 
that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be unto the end. What dominion and what kingdom was Darius referring to? Don't forget he's the king of a human empire, of a physical world. But he's talking now about a kingdom that is not physical, but one that is spiritual. He is talking about an empire and a kingdom that goes beyond human hands, not made of men, but made by the invisible and almighty God of heaven and earth. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. Temporal rulers and empires, they come and go. Many are yesterday's news. And the top stories about today, with the bravado showing missile launching scare tactics that goes on by deranged tyrants and strange men today, well, they have their moment of glory. But they will all die, all of them. And they go to the dust of the ground and all of their so-called glory with them. It is a great comfort to us in a very broken world. It's not our home. This is not our abiding place. But we are just like Abraham, who had no continuing city, but he sought one to come. He was on a journey. He was going to the promised land God had called him to. And the picture there for us is that you and I, as God's children, we're on a journey. We're like nomads. We're going to an everlasting, an eternal home. That's where we're heading. And that home is the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and of our God. And that kingdom shall never be destroyed. Friends, what hope that gives to us. What great peace and stability in a time when we can be so upside down or distressed by what's going on around us Let us all keep it in perspective that we are held in the hands of a sovereign Lord. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and we are part and parcel in that kingdom. Why? Because it's the inheritance that God has given to His only begotten Son and we are joint heirs with Christ. And therefore, we have great hope tonight. Ah, and he speaks about the power of God, His almighty power. Verse 27, he says that this God of Daniel is one that delivers and rescues, and He works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. The God of Daniel does many things. He rescues, delivers, does miracles in heaven and in earth. And he delivered his servant from the power. The margin will read the word hand of the lion. Well, we know the lion has a paw. The paw of the lion. Darius now believed in the omnipotent, almighty power of the God of Daniel, whom I suggest to you is now His God. The attestation of the divine attributes that He is making here, it comes to a changed mind. 
these thoughts come to an enlightened heart. And notice that the final words recorded of this king in the Bible, they relate to the victory over the lion. That's the last word we hear from Darius. Such was the impact that this had on this man's life. And believer, let this testimony fill your heart today with joy and thanksgiving because the God of Daniel is our God tonight. We love Him. We worship Him. We know Him as our own. He has given His grace to us. He has allowed us to serve Him. Let us therefore not take these matters lightly, but let's devote ourselves afresh to Him tonight and to pray that our lives will make a difference in our generation, in the time that God has given to us to serve Him, and that we will be those who know our time period. We will not be ignorant of the day in which we're living in, but we will number our days. We will apply our hearts unto wisdom, and we will know the Lord's blessing upon us. And I close very briefly with the last point, the last verse, because it records the prosperity of Daniel. It says that this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so, my dear brother and sister tonight, that final word will be put over your life as well, so that you will prosper in every place that God puts you, in every circumstance, in every detail. Ah, don't think about it as being defeat. Think about it as being prosperity, for that's the end in view that the Lord has for all His people. We are victors in Christ. We are living in the light of His victory. And by God's definition, that prosperity is for time, but it's for eternity. And that is our great hope tonight. I wonder, friends, do you possess and have the hope of the God of Daniel in your heart? If you do not know Him, I trust and pray that you will come tonight to trust in Him and you will believe in Him with all your heart and you will walk in fellowship with Him. And believer, let us not be cast down or discouraged, but let us turn our hearts and our minds heavenward and homeward to all that He has done for us. We're going to close our service tonight by singing number 593, Oh, for a faith that will endure, though pressed by many a foe. 593, let's stand please as we sing.
tonight, our hearts would be encouraged, blessed, directed, carried forward in all that you have to teach us from your holy word. Part us now, Lord, in your fear and with divine blessing. Go in front of us this week. Make the crooked ways straight and the rough places plain. Let us not be weak in faith, but strong in faith in our Lord and Savior. May our Lord Jesus be magnified in every life. Save precious souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.